but uh, there is the Bible app, and we use it. We're on it, and so if you ever want to go to it, you can actually go directly to our Bible app um, by typing in this URL, and that URL will take you to our version of the Bible app, and it actually has all of the slides and the notes and everything pre-prepared in there. You can follow along um, on it if you want to. You can download it and go to it, um, and you can even have it populated every week for you. So that's just an option if you want to follow along that way. Um, next thing I want to tell you about is... When you came in, you got a little bulletin. Um, at the bottom of that bulletin, there's a connection card. And so if this is your first time or you haven't ever really gotten connected to Restore, um, there's a pin under each of your seats. I'd love for you to just fill that out, tear it off, and you can take it back to our connection center right after the gathering ends. And we've got a gift for you and more information about the church. And um, I'd even love to take you out to coffee and get to know you better if that's something you're interested in. So you can do that um, at the end of our time together. The last thing I want to tell you about is that in two weeks, from today, we're having our back to school bash. And we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. Um, but it's just going to be a time where we celebrate uh, summer coming to an end and fall beginning. And um, we're going to invite a bunch of people and families from the neighborhood to come. We're going to have bounce houses for kids and games and inflatables and, um, and, and prizes and food and all of that kind of stuff. It's just going to be a big party. Um, but like we say, we always like to party with a purpose. So our purpose for this party is that we are raising money and putting together school supplies for Fullmore Middle School. So the school that we're sitting in right now, um, incredible, great middle school. Uh, about 75% of the kids that go to school here um, struggle with um, being able to buy school supplies each year. And so our goal that we've been asked to be supportive by the administrative staff here, our goal is to put together 100 backpacks filled with school supplies that every kid at this school needs. And so we are going to buy all of the backpacks, and then we'd love for you to buy the school supplies and bring those um, over the next couple weeks. If you saw outside, there's kind of a big box that says full more school supplies. You can download all of the school supply list off of our website, or we actually have sheets where it's all printed out for you out there. You can just grab one, go shopping, buy all the school supplies, bring and throw it in. And then at the back to school bash, we're going to pack backpacks full of all the school supplies, write a little note to every kid that just says, have a great year. So excited that you're a middle schooler, even though I would never want to be a middle schooler again. Um, and pack those and just hope that they have an awesome year. So that's a really great opportunity. Last thing about that, if you don't have time or, or, or you're really busy over the next couple of weeks to go and get school supplies. We've actually working with this company that has the entire package of Fullmore school supplies, everything a kid needs. They've put it all together for $28. And so you can go back to the back right after this in the Connection Center, and you can um, donate $28 either by check or cash, or we even will take your credit card through that. We won't take your credit card. Um, we will take your credit card information, and, um, and you can buy one of those packs for kids at Fullmore. So that's what we have going on over the next few weeks. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open God's word and dive in. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, a chance to gather here, uh, the chance to open your word, the chance to sing together. It's a chance to talk and fellowship and shake hands and eat donuts and do so because um, you're here, because you empower us to have joy um, like that, God, and community like that. And I pray that as we look at kind of a tough subject this morning as we open your word and see what you have to say about it, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to um, ways that you are leading us to respond. And God, that we would do so in the way that you have for us and that our lives would be different. It would be changed for the better because of what you did in and through us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few months ago, uh, I found myself sitting in a dimly lit room packed to the walls with all different kinds of people. We had people 
I mean, ages range from teens to people in their 80s. There were men and women. They were straight and gay. Basically, every race represented and seemingly nothing in common between any of these people. An older man sitting near the front of the room said, let's open the meeting today with the serenity prayer. And then in unison, every single person in the room said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And after that, the man in the front of the room went on to explain what Alcoholics Anonymous is and how the meeting would work that night. Um, And I was a little nervous as I sat there in my seat. It had been a few years since I'd been to an AA meeting. Um, And when the time came for new people to introduce themselves, it came to me and I said, I'm Zach and I'm not an alcoholic, but some of the people that are closest to me are. And that night I was there to celebrate one of those people, my sister, as she got her six month chip. And after I introduced myself, I listened to person after person after person introduce themselves and share what was going on in their lives. Some had been sober for less than 48 hours. Some had been sober for 48 years but they were all united by this one requirement that AA has, and that is simply a desire to stop drinking. It didn't matter who you were, where you were from, what you'd done, how long you'd been sober, or anything else about you. The only requirement for being there that night was that you had a desire to stop drinking. At another point in the meeting, we recited the 12 steps, and I'm gonna read you the first three, and they're gonna be on the screen behind me as well. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, I I obviously can't speak for everyone or for every AA meeting. Um, AA is made up of people just like anything else. And so anything that's made up of flawed people is going to be flawed. But I can tell you, that that night at that AA meeting, we had church. You know what I mean? Like it was incredible. Person after person after person went around pouring their hearts out. People encouraged one another. People loved one another. It doesn't matter if they were young or old or anything else about them. They were there for each other. And at the center of it all was this profound understanding that no one in that room had the power to restore themselves. No one in the room had the power in and of their own strength to restore themselves. Now, like I mentioned last week, we're going to be in a series called Lay It Down for the next six weeks. It's the first one today. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because a couple of months ago we did one sermon that was called Lay It Down, and we talked about Hebrews 12, chapter 1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us lay down every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And at the end of that message, everyone that was here, we all filled out a note card. And on that note card, we wrote the things that so easily entangle us, the thing that God was asking us to lay down. And we filled those out and we brought them right up here and we laid them down. We laid them down at the feet of Christ saying, God, I can't do this. You have to do this. And then our staff, we took those note cards and we prayed over each and every one of them. And then we put them into kind of common categories. And it came out to be about six common categories. And we took those categories and those common answers, we made them into this message series. And so we are going for the next six weeks to address the six things that kind of 
plague us the most, the six, six things that we all need to lay down. And the first one today that we're going to look at is addiction. Now, you may or may not be an alcoholic, but I would be willing to bet that most of us have something in our lives that we are powerless to control. Some of us have something in our lives that we can't fix in and of our own strength. Addiction can be such a hard thing to describe or to define. So for our purposes this morning, I'm going to use this clinical definition. Addiction is a strong and harmful need to regularly have or do something. It is a strong or harmful need to regularly have or do something. And just think about all the ways that this can apply to our lives, right? We have some of the most common alcohol and drugs. We also have pornography, sexual addiction. Porn is a 13 billion dollar per year industry in the U.S. alone. This is an addiction that some studies suggest affect up to 90% of men and 65% of women. What about our phones? Addicted to technology, the average smartphone user checks their phones more than 35 times per day and spends almost four hours on it each day. Another one is working. This is something that I battle constantly, this idea of workaholism, this idea that if I can just accomplish or achieve enough things, then I can finally find peace, but it's never ending. I just continue to run after it and go after it, and it never satisfies. It can be food. It can be caffeine. I mean, how many of us can make it through an entire day without caffeine? We give you caffeine when you come here. We have it out there because you'll sleep during the sermons if we don't give it to you. But how many of us? It's hard to make it through an entire day without caffeine. It could be caffeine. It could be nicotine. It could be gambling. It could be religion. I know a lot of people that I've come across in my life who are addicted to religion, addicted to being moral, addicted to just being a quote-unquote good person. They try and try and try and try, but they never can be good enough because none of us can. I could go on and on and on. Some of these things are certainly more accepted you know, kind of by society around us than others, but they can all be incredibly damaging in our lives. One of my very favorite stories in the Bible talks about someone who was struggling with addiction. If you have your Bible or your phone or the verses will be on the screen behind us, we're gonna be in John chapter four. John chapter four. So let me set the scene for us. Jesus is traveling with his disciples from Judea to Galilee, and that means that he had to go through this town called Samaria. And if you aren't familiar with the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, let me just tell you that it wasn't good, right? They, they hated each other. They despised each other. In fact, Jewish people tried not to travel through Samaria because they were afraid of being mugged or injured or beat up or even killed sometimes. So going through Samaria wasn't exactly an ideal situation for Jesus and his disciples, but that was really the only way or the fastest way to get to Galilee in those days, and that was where they were going. So they went. We pick up the story in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So he, that's Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will indeed be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up with eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So Jesus is walking through Samaria. He stops at a well because he gets thirsty and there he encounters this woman who is addicted to men. He encounters a woman at the well who is addicted to men. We don't know why. It could have been something sexual. It could have been a relational addiction. It could have been anything, but she was addicted to men. Five husbands, the guy she was with now was not her husband. She was trying to use men to meet her needs. That's obvious. She's thirsty, both in the literal sense, right, for water that very day, but also in the medical for, metaphorical sense. She wants to find something that is going to meet the needs that she feels like she has. And she's been trying guy after guy after guy, and it hasn't worked. So when Jesus shares about the living water, the water that forever satisfies, the water that brings about eternal life, she wants it. She jumps on it. She says, yeah, take me there. I, I want the living water. How can you get it? You, can't, you don't even have something to get out of the well, but I want it. I want that living water that you have. Just like so many of us, she has spent her entire life trying to meet her own needs in her own power, but she's fallen woefully short. She knows she needs the living water, but she's a little bit skeptical that Jesus, this guy that's standing before her, is gonna be the one that gives it to her. She says as much in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She knows that Christ is coming. She knows that he will have all the answers she's been asking for. He'll be able to meet her needs. But is this guy at the well before her really him? And Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is the only one that can provide the living water that we all desperately, desperately long for. The only one that can meet our every need. You can't do it. I can't do it. In fact, Jesus said that if we truly want the living water, if we truly want to be his disciples, the very first thing we have to realize is that we are incapable of doing it on our own. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but I've never really liked this verse. It seems harsh. <laughs> It seems hard. It doesn't seem like good news to me, the idea of denying myself and taking up a cross. I actually think the, the biggest reason that this verse feels like bad news to me is because I'm addicted to me-based solutions for my me-based problems, right? You understand that? You feel that? Because that happens to me all the time. I try me-based solutions to me-based problems. I'm addicted to it. That's my go-to. Every time I encounter something, every time I'm struggling with something, I go to my power, my intellect, 
my solution for my problem. I go to the well for more water when I know that I'm just going to get thirsty again. I travel all that way and I dig down in it and I get as much water as I need and I drink, but I'm never, ever satisfied. We do this all the time, don't we? We place our trust in things that we know will fail us. There's a pastor and writer um, named Nadia Boltzweber, and she puts it this way. We seem to always insist on giving pieces of our heart to things that simply cannot love us back. So if making more money doesn't manage to make you feel secure in the way you thought it would, when finally being in a relationship doesn't make you feel worthwhile in the way you thought it would, when the success of your children doesn't make up for your own lack of success, when getting one more degree doesn't make you feel valuable in the way you thought it would, when your idol doesn't love you back, know this, there was never any chance that it would. There was never any chance that it would. There was never any chance that your me-based solution to your me-based problem was going to fix it. And I think in the back of our minds, in, in the deepest parts of our hearts, we know this. We know this because if you've lived on earth for even a little bit of time, you know that when you try to fix things, when you try to control things, it never works. You end up thirsty again. So I'm not going to offer you a me-based solution here this morning because I I believe that they're fool's gold. You won't hear me giving you the, the five secrets of beating your pornography addiction or the top three ways to keep from overeating because at the end of the day, they don't work. They fall short. They seem beautiful and shiny on the outside, but when you look at them up close, there's no substance to them. Because the moment you beat one addiction, the moment in your power you overcome something, the next one is just lurking at the door ready for you. I have so many good friends who, who, who beat an alcohol addiction, but now they're addicted to uh, cigarettes or they beat this addiction and now they're addicted to this or they felt like, ah, I haven't looked at porn in a long time, but every night I eat two pints of ice cream when I feel bad. If you try to fill the hole in your life, the needs that you have with a me-based solution, it's going to fall apart every time. And you're going to be looking for the next one and the next one and the next one. If you don't fill the need with someone who meets all your needs, if you keep sipping on well water instead of the living water, you will be forever thirsty. There is a solution, but it's not a me-based solution. Our solution is simply Jesus. And it's not our ability to have faith in Jesus or our ability to trust Jesus or our knowledge about Jesus. Our solution is the person, Jesus, who by his Holy Spirit lives inside of everybody who believes. So every time you find yourself at the end of your own strength, Jesus is there. He is there in every trip to rehab and at the end of every joint. He is there when you sit in the guilt and shame after watching pornography. He is there when you can't make it through a conversation without looking at your phone. He is there when you've worked yourself to the bone. He is there when you can't get up from the blackjack table. He is there. And it's not based on your ability to hope him there or to trust in him being there. He is there. Scripture says when we are faithless, he is faithful. It's not your ability to trust in him. It's him 
The solution is not more Bible reading. The solution is not more church attendance. The solution is not more mission trips. The solution is a person. The solution is Jesus. He was there at that AA meeting when I heard my sister stand up and say that her life was completely out of control when she tried to fix herself, but that since she gave over control to Jesus, he has begun the incredible process of restoring her. That not very long ago, she felt dead, but Jesus was awakening her to life every single day. When you've been so beaten up by your addiction that you feel dead, remember, Jesus resurrects the dead. When you have been so beaten up and knocked down by whatever is holding you, at, holding you back, whatever you need to lay down, whatever so easily entangles you, when you feel dead, remember Jesus resurrects the dead. And that's why we're here. That's the whole reason we even come together is because, the, because death tried to hold him down. The grave tried to capture him up, but he overcame it. He rose from the dead. He turns death into life and he restores what is broken. I truly, truly believe that. And I believe not only that, but I believe he gives us a very clear framework for just how we're supposed to turn our brokenness over to him so that he can begin that process of restoration. Look at James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Just like that AA meeting, we are called to first admit our struggles and admit that we are powerless over them, both to ourselves and to the people around us. And then secondly, we pray together and we ask Jesus to heal our brokenness. We turn our brokenness over to him. So this morning and over the next few weeks in this series, we're going to end every time together with this time of basically just giving you the opportunity to do just that. Giving you the opportunity to do James 5, 16, to step forward, to step out in faith, to lay down the things that so easily trip us up. So we're about to stand and the band is going to uh, play a song over us. And I, I want to encourage you to respond to the way Jesus is leading you right now. How he's moving in your heart at this time. We're going to have people in the back who would really love to pray with you. Who would love to pray a James 5.16 prayer with you the way that it says we're supposed to. I know, I know that many of you are sitting here this morning thinking, I don't want to go pray with someone. I don't want to go tell someone what's going on in my life. I don't want to pull back that curtain and let them know that I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm messed up. I'm struggling. I know because I understand because I'm the same way. Man, my flesh, I don't want to do that either. I want to maintain some illusion of control over my life. I don't want to let anybody else in because I know that the moment that happens, God's going to start to do some restorative work. And I'm not even sure I'm ready for that. You know what I mean? But I know, I know that's what I need to do. I know that that's what so many of you need this morning.
And I want you to know these aren't people back there praying with you that are gonna that are gonna judge you or condemn you no matter who you are or what you've done. They simply want to pray with you and ask Jesus to begin that incredible process of restoration in your life. So if you would stand up with me. Like I said, the band is gonna play a song and I just wanna encourage you to step out in faith to give the broken pieces of your life to the great potter who takes them and makes them into beautiful, beautiful things. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to be enslaved by the things that so easily weigh us down, that so easily ensnare us, God, but you call us to lay them down. God, you call us to first admit that we are completely powerless over them, both to ourselves and to others, and then to ask for you to heal them. For ask for you to take those broken pieces of clay and make them into your masterpiece. God, thank you that our, our hope and our trust is not in any program or any ability or any book or any solution that the world gives us, but our hope is in Jesus. And I pray that we meet and experience him in an incredible way this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.